Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Oh, I was going to try to quote Titanic, but... <laughs> what, but you couldn't? I, I just couldn't choose. I just couldn't oh, okay. choose which I was thing like, wait, what's say? going on? <laughs> I was going to say, like, oh, I'm king of the world, but that's, like, honestly, maybe the worst mm-hmm. quote from the movie. Whoa. I mean, I can't say I agree with that. Okay. That seems sick and wrong. I think the worst quote from the movie would be, ooh, something that you don't even remember. Like something you don't... Oh, here it is. Gotcha! Who... Oh, when the... (laughs) Exactly. Not memorable. Not memorable. No, but I know what you're talking about. It's when the two guys were looking for Jack and Rose in (laughs) the the cargo hold and they open the door and they're like, they think they're going to see them like mid-coitus. Yes. Oh, okay. So first of all, welcome to the Bessel cast. (laughs) Um, Yes. Hello. My name's Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante. And this is our, uh, normally it's our, our podcast where we give an intersectional feminist analysis of your favorite movies. This week, we are for the second week in a row, once again, covering Titanic for, I believe, the seventh time. So it is the most wonderful yeah. time of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we briefed you on in last week's episode, we are doing a two-parter for this as a way to both say that first, the episode was unexpectedly so long because we will never run out of things to say about this. And yes. two, to, uh, to just sort of pay homage to the two VHS mm. Titanic collection. So this is VHS 2. Yes. But I feel like we should update. We have Titanic news since uh, last since episode. We record, yeah, really since we quick, last really released quick. an episode. I had my wedding, so to speak, which is I invited all my friends to an AMC in Burbank, California to watch Titanic. Yes, like any good wedding. 
exactly thank you mm-hmm. and a lot of people came and we great. had the best time there was cheering it was beautiful a friend of the cast Sarah June booed the iceberg when it came on screen that and we all loved it it was an extremely titanic screening um <laughs> that it was is how I felt about it and yes Caitlin thank you for coordinating it I will say of titanic 3d it doesn't need to be 3D. They, Thank you. There wasn't a lot of 3D. I wanted to see every pore on Bruce Esme's face. Wow. And I just didn't. Yeah. I know. Well, well that's a me thing. Sure. That's because I'm a little pervert. <laughs> I don't love 3D movies. In fact, I avoid them. Me too. And I was worried that it was going to be like headache inducing. But the 3D was like kind of underwhelming, which I actually liked. Because I was like, oh, I'm not being given a headache. I would, but but you wouldn't have liked it if you had paid a premium and didn't have an AMC Stubbs well, pass. Sure, that's what I was thinking of the non-Stubbs heads. Um, if I were a non-Stubbs head, which of course I'm not, I would yeah. be fucking pissed if I paid twenty six dollars <laughs> to not even be hit in the face with an iceberg, mm-hmm. which I think is like low key kind of morbid and disrespectful. But anyways, we went. <laughs> We did do that, yes. And speaking of of AMC Stubbs, I mean, we would be remiss not to acknowledge that we come to this place Mm. for magic. We come to this place to laugh, to cry, to care, etc. And also, AMC um, can eat shit recently. I mean, obviously, we're not, based on what I just said, (laughs) we're obviously not sponsored by them. Right. They can eat shit. Did you see how they... um, are trying to introduce a tiered um, yes. movie seat program. That is the most elitist garbage pee pee poo poo thing I've ever seen in my life. Like movies are supposed to be in equal space. They're for the you people. Pay, you know, twelve dollars times or three these days. I don't know. I'm a stubs head, <laughs> so I don't know. And then yeah. you know, ugh, I just think that that's so fucking ridiculous. Infuriating. It pisses me off. We're not sponsored by them, so Mm-mm. we're saying that. Yeah. Anyone who doesn't sponsor us, we have to find an active insult for. <laughs> Anyways, it rocked. We laughed. We cried. We cared. Sarah booted the iceberg. It was It was really special. It was wonderful. I had the best time. Thank you for coming with me, Jamie. Oh, I mean, and thanks to all who attended mm-hmm. Indeed. the Titanic. And, and that resulted in a little bit of James Cameron history where Titanic has now eclipsed Avatar- Avatar 2 overtook Titanic as a higher grossing mm. movie, but then when Titanic re-released... Titanic is back up on top. It overtook Avatar 2. Okay. Now, who knows what'll happen. I just... James Cameron's kind of like the Joey Chestnut of movie grosses. Like, he's really mostly in competition with himself. <laughs> and you're just like, well, yes, uh, good for uh, that white guy. Mm. In any case, shall we get to the episode? Yes. So, without much further ado... Here is VHS tape number two, and by that we mean the rest of the episode that we didn't have time to include last week. So it's uh, a recap of the movie plus Jamie's fun facts corner. So the the recap of Titanic that I never have done before. Um, I will include a content slash trigger warning for suicide at the top of this recap and a sinking boat and for a sinking boat yes all right and then i'm gonna pipe in it's kind of hard because i have two long lists of notes for the two different three-hour commentary tracks yeah i'm gonna do my best but i'll I'll try to interject 
with useful with information details. and not just having a meltdown. <laughs> and anything that you don't get to during the recap, we can touch on afterward. We can zip through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. The movie begins in present day mm-hmm. with Brock Lovett, played by Bill Paxton, who Jim Cameron admits is his self-insert character. I mean, he says that makes he's sense. like Brock on the phone with his financiers, more like me on the phone with Paramount. He he ha ha. Wow. He also says that he edited the intro sequence like with the title and like the waves and mm-hmm. stuff. He edited that himself. Wow. In the space of 20 hours and one bottle of tequila. Whoa. I know. He drunk edited the opening <laughs> sequence. Love that. Okay. Love that. So Brock Lovett is in, speaking of love it, Brock hey. love it, is in a submarine searching the wreckage of the Titanic because he is trying to find a diamond necklace called the Heart of the Ocean. Mm-hmm. He believes it went down with the ship when it sunk in 1912. Yes. He finds this safe. He brings it to the surface. He opens it, but oops, the diamond is not in the safe. I learned a little bit about how they shot the underwater sequences. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting because it was kind of like a whatever, a combination of crew members sort of telling you exactly what shots were actually from the wreckage of Titanic and which ones were reproductions that they did match shots for Uh in Escondido fun facts that I learned included and I I think I sort of knew that but I don't this but I don't know if like we've ever talked about on the show so like all of those like the underwater cameras like they're called ROVs Mm -hmm. they had to develop a version of existing technology that could be used for the movies because there's so few of that equipment available that they wouldn't lend it to James Cameron for his little movie. It reminded me of how like in Itania, like famous figure skaters wouldn't be stunt people because they're like, yeah, it's not worth it. Sorry, wow. movie. Um, it's not well because it's like if you're doing a triple axle in figure skating and then you fuck your ankle up, then your career is over and all you did was a stunt on Itania. You know, oh, I, I think that that's how they're like, these cameras are so valuable that like if you break it making a movie, we will kill you. Like, so they had to like develop technology for the movie specifically. And then also that piano that they see Mm -hmm. James Cameron, sometimes he claims to have done things where I'm just like, I don't believe you. But anyways, (laughs) he, that piano, he's like, I made that myself. I took a drill to it and it took all night. And I was like, what are you talking about? Mm. But he started in the art department and he claims to just really have like raw dogged that piano and made it look old and threw it underwater. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Who knows? Well, so Brock has opened the safe. The diamond is not there, but what is there is a nude drawing of a woman who is wearing the diamond necklace in the drawing. So we know that James Cameron drew that. Mm. What I never heard before this was that he drew it semi from life. Like it wasn't just like, and not from the scene in the movie. The drawing was like done or like storyboarded Mm -hmm. before Kate Winslet ever, you know, posed for it in the movie. Sure. 
but yeah, he said that like he had Kate Winslet pose for him and a few artists from a few different angles, but she was wearing, she was not nude. She was wearing a bikini and then he sounded really creepy dad. And he was like, I had to use my imagination to draw her nude. We didn't know each other well enough for her to pose nude for me, which I'm like, yeah, true. Mm -hmm. But why did you say that? You know? (laughs) But there's Yikes. a lot of like bizarre, I don't know, there's a lot of like 90s because the, the two commentary tracks I listened to were recorded for the 10th anniversary DVD. So it was recorded okay. sometime in like 2006 for the 2007 yeah. release. Right. But there's all sorts of like bizarre 90s sounding like there's a story about how like when Kate Winslet, like she didn't want Leonardo DiCaprio to see her naked for the first time like on the set for that scene. Mm-hmm. So she according to her like left her makeup trailer door unlocked and like called him in while she was getting full body makeup for that scene and like didn't tell him she was going to be naked and like jump scared him and then he was like whoa and she's like ha 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 it's it's more comfortable this way we're just co-workers and then Leonardo DiCaprio was like cool and I guess everyone was fine with it but I was like this is a weird <laughs> you guys are most stories about Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio are weird like she mm. just says it like it's a I mean whatever they had a jokey relationship they're obviously still friends but she was like ha 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 this is where Leo would fart in his jacket and stick it in my face oh I was like yucky uh, but she's like we'd love to have a laugh I'm like well you know they really found each other because i would hate that <laughs> what a bunch of goofs i guess um okay so this exploring of the wreckage of titanic this whole thing is like being televised yes and an old woman sees the drawing that brock lovett has uncovered from the safe she sees it on tv and she says well i'll be goddamned." she then and we're and we're cheering crying. yeah she then calls Brock Lovett and says, the woman in the picture is me. <gasps> and yeah, I know all about the diamond you're looking for. Okay. I definitely didn't know this. Let me know if you do this. So when James Cameron was writing this iconically okay script, <laughs> he was looking for like to build out old rows. He was looking for like a, oh God, I'm, I, ne- I never say this word right. Like cent- centenarian someone who was around a hundred who he like wanted to find a really interesting older woman who had like lived a wild life Mm -hmm. to sort of like build old rows around or just like have in mind. And Bill Paxton's, his wife, Louise Paxton Mm -hmm. suggested this artist she knew of who lived in Ojai, Mm -hmm. who was like in her, I think she was like 101 when the movie came out okay. and she was like oh you should check out this artist Beatrice Wood she sounds exactly like the kind of person you're looking for and she gave James Cameron a copy of Beatrice Wood's autobiography which is called I Shock Myself mm-hmm. and uh, James Cameron met with her before writing the character of Old Rose got a feel for who she was a lot of the like lines that Old Rose has were based on her cadence and jokiness. Um, The fact Mm. that Rose does pottery is based on Beatrice Wood because that was what Beatrice Wood was most famous for in her later career. And Gloria Stewart met with her too. Like, 
she's just like this fascinating person. And if you're into art history at all, listeners, she was like, she was like a really important artist who I'd never heard of, but she like was with like Marcel Duchamp, like championing his work at like the very, very beginning of his work. Like she's considered like the mother of Dada art, but is obviously not brought up half as much as Duchamp was, but she was a huge advocate and like she worked alongside him. She did a lot of drawings and then later did like sculpture and then even later in her career did pottery. She was like the subject of this famous Dada art love triangle with Duchamp Hmm. and this other artist. I don't know. She was really, really fascinating. And um, I was excited to even get to like, I ordered a copy of her autobiography because she just sounds really freaking cool. And I love that uh, Louise Paxton was the one that was just like, hey, check this out. And then I think most iconically, after Titanic came out, Beatrice Wood awarded the fifth annual Beatrice Wood Film Award to James Cameron. <laughs> Reciprocity. But yeah, so okay, last, last, and so like Gloria Stewart and James Cameron went to Beatrice Wood's 101st birthday luncheon mm-hmm. when they were getting to know her. And I guess that she turned down dessert at the table and everyone's like, why didn't you want dessert, Beatrice? And she said, I only like chocolate and young men. (laughs) So. Wow. I know. Shout out Beatrice Wood. I just had like a really fun side quest learning about her. She's really cool. Hell yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. Hmm. Okay. So Brock Lovett invites this woman who had called him Rose Calvert, mm-hmm. played by Gloria Stewart. Mm-hmm. And he invites her aboard the Keldish, which is the ship they are operating this search of the Titanic wreckage from. A real ship. So that Rose can tell him what she knows about the diamond. And she starts to tell her story. She iconically says, it's been 84 years and I can still smell the fresh paint. The china had never been used. The, the sheets, sheets had, had never, never been, been slept in. in. Titanic, Titanic was, called, was called the ship of the dreams. Ship of dreams. And, and it, it was. was. It, it really, really was. Also, another fun meeting was Gloria Stewart requested to meet with Kate Winslet mm. when they first got cast as Rose so that Gloria Stewart would know how to like whatever, like the way that you you would, but like to, mm-hmm. to fix her mannerisms. And there's like video footage of that meeting and it's really, really sweet. Mm-hmm. And it's Gloria Stewart showing, they're both like drinking champagne and they're a little tipsy and Gloria Stewart is showing, cause she was like an old Hollywood star. She's showing Kate Winslet these pictures of her when she was like, she's like, I was having sex with every Marx brother and none <laughs> of that is my real hair. And Kate Winslet's like, <laughs> I want to be just like you someday. It's very sweet. Oh, that's awesome. I know. Um, so as old Rose starts to tell her story, we flash back to 1912. Titanic is about to embark on its maiden voyage. People are boarding the ship, including Rose, played by Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. Her fiancé, Cal. Her fiancé. Fiancé. Cal Hockley, played by Billy Zane. Mm-hmm. Her mother, Ruth. That's Francis Fisher. Mm-hmm. And they are all fabulously wealthy with first class tickets. Mm-hmm. 
we cut to Jack Dawson, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Of course, he's playing poker with his best friend Fabrizio. Oh my gosh. That's Can Danny Nucci. I have a fun Danny Nucci. I have two fun Danny Nucci facts. Hit me. Danny Nucci is also in the commentary track, and he's just a kick. Mm. Things about Danny Nucci include he was able to... So Danny Nucci lived in Italy for the first seven years of his life, but okay. did not speak Italian. I personally... I think what I've learned in the last couple of years is that like sometimes when Italian accents sound fake, they're actually not. Case in point, mm. Lady Gaga and House of Gucci. Her accent sounds extremely <laughs> fake, but then if you listen to the person that she's playing, mm -hmm. it's sometimes they just sound weird. I don't know. But like <laughs> apparently Danny Nucci like fudged a little bit and like Little White Lie was like, Yeah, I'm Italian, but like spoke in an accent at his audition mm. and was able to fool James Cameron and the producers. And then when he got the part, he was like I'm not actually Italian and they're like well can you speak Italian and then he had to like take classes really abruptly so he could do the because he, he occasionally speaks in Italian mm -hmm. in the movie also another evil James Cameron anecdote Danny Nucci had his first kid while Titanic was in production and he was given one and a half days off yikes um oh, and gosh. finally iconic Danny Nucci said there's Good anecdotes about the two bands that appear in this movie, the Irish band Below Decks mm -hmm. and then the band that plays to the end on the top deck and they're like a Swiss mm -hmm. band. But apparently like Danny Nucci and the Irish band got along famously and Danny Nucci mm. would bring out his guitar and they would play Oasis together like between takes. <laughs> okay. It's great. Love it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Jack and Fabrizio are playing poker against these two Swedish guys who have bet their third class tickets to Titanic. Mm -hmm. And Jack wins the hand of poker because he's got a full house, boys. Woo! <laughs> and so he wins the tickets, but Titanic is leaving in five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> so Jack and Fabrizio make a mad dash and board the titanic mm -hmm. we are also seeing the extravagance of rose and cal in first class juxtaposed against the bare bones conditions of third class where jack and fabrizio are yeah there's a fun little anecdote about like just i don't know like little things that i was like oh i wouldn't think about who would be doing that but like james cameron because he's just like kind of a weird guy mm. was really like there's a scene where it's like Rose has her Picassos and her Degas and all this stuff. And mm -hmm. like James Cameron like spent a, a bizarre amount of time looking for someone to do that and like ended up finding this obscure artist that lived in the middle of Canada and like hired her to do. It's like all the same artist who did all of those mm. paintings. Interesting. Also the dog. Old Rose has the dog. Oh, the little Pomeranian? Yeah, which I guess is a nod to there were three dogs that survived the titanic and there two oh. of them were pomeranians and one was a pekingese oh. and no one ever talks about the titanic dogs it might be the the only angle from which th that story has not been um exploited well titanic puppies guess i've got a screenplay to write who would be the titanic puppies it would be like <laughs> anya taylor joy kevin hart <laughs> 
and Dave Batista are the Titanic puppies. Wow. <laughs> Food for thought. Okay. I'm not mad about it. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. So we see first class passengers, third class passengers. We also see... No, no um, second class passengers, really. Not, yeah, not a lot of interest in the second class. Wow. Second class erasure. Gee whiz. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Middle class erasure much. Hello. Yeah. Well, hey, hey. <laughs> You're telling me, folks. Um, we also see the people in the boiler rooms who are like shoveling coal to power the ship. We're seeing wild fact about the boiler room. Due to something, something, the budget, mm-hmm. they couldn't afford to build the boiler room to the full size they wanted to. So there's like mm-hmm. a lot of things done in the boiler room set to make the boilers appear like there's more of they use like a mirror effect to make it seem like there are twice as many as there actually were but Uh, also uh they couldn't afford to build the boilers as big as they should have been so instead they hired shorter actors to play the boiler room guys so they were like i don't know if this was hyperbole or not but like john landau was like yeah we 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 just had to make the boilers like we were positioning the camera as if the actors were like six foot four, but I don't think we hired an actor who was like above five foot three. We just hired a lot of like shorter actors so that the boilers would look bigger. That's some like force perspective Hobbit Lord of the Rings stuff. <laughs> it's pr- it's pretty brilliant. Um, yeah. But that's Boiler Room Facts with Jamie. Beautiful. Love it. Um <laughs> So yeah, we're seeing just like the scale and the glory that is Titanic. Shortly after this is when we see the scene where Jack is like looking at dolphins and then he goes, I'm king of the world. And on that note, let's take a quick break and then we will come right back. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Okay, so then we meet the unsinkable Molly Brown, played by Kathy Bates. We meet Mr. Andrews. That's Victor Garber. Who almost didn't get the part because the casting director sent, was like, Jim, you got to check out this guy. He looks like Thomas Andrews and he's very talented. And then she sent him the wrong video. She sent him like a video of some guy in a bow tie that looked nothing like Thomas Andrews. <laughs> and James Cameron was like, um, I'm not seeing it. And... <laughs> And she was like, oh, no, wrong video. And then he got the part. Oh, and we're so glad. It's true. Uh, Mr. Andrews, of course, is the, like, engineer who designed the ship. Mm-hmm. We also meet Bruce Ismay, played by Jonathan Hyde. He was the chairman and managing director of the White Star Line. Who, uh, the two historical characters that both the producers and James Cameron seem to have, like, repeatedly acknowledged that they felt, like, the only historical figures that they felt that they potentially did a disservice to were Bruce Ismay, Mm. who I think was like a bad guy, but not as bad as the movie makes him out to be. And James Cameron Uh sort of was like, yeah, I took a lot of dramatic license there. Like he did get into a boat. It was rumored that he had put some pressure to make the boat go faster, but also he stayed on the boat until the very last minute and rescued a lot of people. And like there were like, Mm. there's a lot of gray area, I guess. I see. So, which I don't really care about. The Officer Murdoch conversation is a little more interesting because Officer Mm. Murdoch is um, for, I mean, I guess for, for the, it's hard to keep all the officers straight. He's the one that (laughs) kills Tommy and then takes his own life Mm -hmm. in the movie. Mm -hmm. That is also a lot of creative license. And his family reached out to James Cameron and was like, what the fuck? And James Mm -hmm. Cameron was like, um, yeah, like it technically could have happened because apparently historically, usually when something's in like creative license, James Cameron has done the work to make it like well you can't say it didn't happen like Uh even the room that rose stays in in the movie 
was technically empty. So it's like, well, that's where I'm going to put them because you can't prove someone Mm -hmm. else was there. But in that case, it was like there were rumors of like several gunshots that went off in an area where Officer Murdoch was. But obviously, Tommy Ryan is a fictional character. So he was not killed by Officer Murdoch. He didn't exist. Mm -hmm. But there is like no, I think that there is like one speculation that Murdoch may have taken his own life, but there's like basically no historical precedent for it. So his family was rather upset that that was the narrative imposed on him. Yeah. And taking I mean, bribes as well. There was no evidence that he took bribes. Sure. Right. He kind of he kind of got fucked a little. That sucks. Um but yeah, Hollywood loves embellishing facts. Yeah. I mean, for this, dramatic effect. But as far as like as far as historical movies getting things right, this movie gets more right than it doesn't. So there you go. And we love that. Yeah. Speaking of Tommy, we meet Tommy, he befriends Jack and Fabrizio. He's played by Jason Barry. I never bothered to look up who played Tommy before this. And I was like, oh, it's a guy named Jason Barry. He was on the commentary track and he just said, like, he's actually Irish. Wow. Authenticity. Yeah. Unlike Danny Nucci over here, who's like, um, <laughs> bonjour, question mark. Like, he- <laughs> um, okay. So we meet a few of these characters. We're hanging out with Jack and Fabrizio on deck. And this is when Jack sees Rose across the deck of the ship. Mm. And he's like, hubba, hubba, swing, a wooga. Speaking of a wooga, oh my God. (laughs) That's a James Cameron story that has nothing. I I thought, I thought, Caitlin, it had nothing to do with Titanic. I thought that there is, listeners, there is, I think I probably referenced it in our Avatar episode as well james cameron whenever he goes on a press tour he says a bunch of stuff that's awful and then a bunch of stuff that is incoherent one of the things he said on this press <laughs> tour that was incoherent was that at times when he's on set the set for avatar he will not respond to anyone unless they first use a deafening awuga sound and that's how he yeah. knows that it's important enough that it requires his precious baby boy attention, attention. <laughs> So when I was watching behind the scene featurettes of this movie, I can't prove that the Awuga thing has been true for a long time. But in the big, the ship is sunk, everyone's flailing around. That was filmed, I think, in like a, I think it was Burbank. Like it was somewhere close by. Like it was just Mm. a a large tank in Burbank with like four feet of water. And that's where the I'll never let go scene was filmed and all that. Mm -hmm. There is a moment in the featurette it's not called attention to, but knowing what we know now about James Cameron and Awuga, <laughs> James Cameron is not talking to anybody. A loud Awuga sound sent, it like is sounded. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he goes, what? I think the Awuga system has been in place for decades. For, wow. Look, does any... Are any of James Cameron's longtime employees listening to this show? Can we get some confirmation <laughs> on the Awuga? Si- I, I was shocked i was knocked on my ass by this that's fascinating i'm not surprised though it's it sounds like he's been an absolute tyrant for a very long time but mm-hmm. but the awuga system specifically i'm like that is some evil genius shit <laughs> like what on earth i i i think we can date awuga back to 96 i support it yeah mm-hmm. 
So Jack is seeing Rose and he's like, hubba hubba, who's that? Mm-hmm. And his friends are like, yeah, right, dude. She's rich and you're poor. It'll never work out. You'll have angels flying out of your arse, etc. Before you get next to the likes of her, mm-hmm. says Tommy. Um, Classic Tommy. <laughs> There's also, there was like a fight with James Cameron and the costume designer for that scene where I guess Rose, like, woman would wear hat if outside. Mm. That is like a thing of the time and so they were kind of getting into it because james cameron's like i don't want a floppy old hat on kate winslet's head like it would look goofy if she was wearing a big floppy hat when jack sees her but he said well she's already rebelled against everything else and then he took the hat off kate winslet's head and threw it into the ocean because he's a drama (laughs) queen and the costume designer i think was like okay (laughs) and that was and then they shot the scene. Wow. Oh, Jim. I know. He's a, he's a, a piece of work. I don't know what to make of the man. <laughs> he's really a piece of work. Um, Into the ocean? Like, so not necessary. Very dramatic. Yeah. Okay. So Jack has spotted Rose. Mm-hmm. But they don't meet until that night when Rose attempts suicide by jumping off the ship. Yeah. She feels trapped by her position in life. She feels trapped in this relationship with Cal, who is controlling and abusive. So she makes this attempt. But Jack sees her, mm-hmm. realizes what's happening, and he stops her. He saves her. Here's what James Cameron had to say about this. It made me laugh. Mm. When you think about it, it's sort of a risky proposition for two people to meet in the middle of an attempted suicide. But that's... Long pause. That's what happens here. <laughs> I mean, there's no arguing that. Sometimes he talks about his own movies as if he has no control over what happens in them. <laughs> in a way that makes me laugh. He's like, I don't know. I guess that's just how it went. <laughs> his argument for a long time, before he commissioned this scientific study to figure out if two people could have actually fit on the door and survived Uh his argument before that was jack dies in the script so he has to die (laughs) it's like yeah you you wrote that in the script (laughs) you literally have control over this but like i guess whatever you want there there was also kind of a because I think at the time this movie came out, it's it's kind of interesting how like Kate Winslet and James Cameron's relationship seems to have changed over time. Mm-hmm. Because at the time the movie came out, I kind of forgot like it was like heavily rumored that like Kate Winslet hated him, mm-hmm. never wanted to work with him again because she got hypothermia on set. Like, yeah, who would want to work with him again after that? But then time passed and now she's in Avatar too. Like, they made mm-hmm. she got into a a tank for for the man again. Yeah. Um, so. It seems like the relationship repaired over time. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to hear, like, there are a couple of anecdotes that Kate Winslet shares on this commentary track where you're like, she was not having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, with the scene where she is attempting suicide, she's talking about how they had to shoot it so many times because that was a green screen in a way that you can tell, too. But, oh, like, yeah. whatever, it's 1997. But, like, they had to shoot it over and over and over to the point where she like couldn't get herself to cry as much like she just uh-huh. was like spent and couldn't get herself to cry and so 
someone on the production, I have a guess as to who, was like, just blow air in her face until she starts crying. Oh and and so they like blew a fan in her face until her eyes watered. And then they're like, all right, start again. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Damn. This poor, and she's like 20 years old. You know, mm-hmm. it's like they're, no one talks back in those situations. And I just was like, bless her. That's not my mayor of East Town. Tell you what, <laughs> I love that lady. She seems so great. Yeah. The abuse that actors and performers have to endure. Not cool. Yeah. Okay. So Jack saves Rose saying, if you jump, I'm going to have to jump in there after you. She goes, that's absurd. <laughs> then Cal and some of the crew show up to the scene and they're like, what's going on? And Rose is like, oh, I was just leaning over and I slipped and Jack saved me. I was leaning far over for the propellers. <laughs> they had a hard time finding Cal. And then you know what they did? What? They saw the phantom. Is that a movie that Billy Zane is the in? The movie that Billy Zane was in. Okay. I have which seen he plays it. a super he plays a superhero called the Phantom. Okay. And then I've never seen it either. I just think it is a very if you look at like the visuals and like the trailer for that movie, it's very weird to be like I would see that movie and be like, Yep, he should be in Titanic because <laughs> it's like just a super campy superhero movie where he's like, I am the Phantom. Like it's wow. very it's so Billy Zane is so iconic like i'll never get over it he was oh wait i need to tell you the billy zane arts and crafts story <laughs> he was just really like people seem to everyone who talked about billy zane seemed to be like and he is just what a character they're like leo and billy just had us rolling 25 8 wow. john lando said billy is an artiste and then billy zane says that he turned so like the whole as you know caitlin Mm -hmm. and maybe some of our listeners know the way that the titanic set was built was that they built half of it Mm -hmm. in mexico and then a lot of it is like reverse shots but so they had to like move the entire cast and crew to mexico for months Mm -hmm. so billy zane turned his apartment in mexico into it sounds sort of like he's slowly losing his grasp on reality but you let me know he he sort of seems to feel that way too he's like yeah you know just these long days you're in a place you don't know anybody and I just sort of like I like to express myself and I turned my apartment into an art studio and I started make I started quote doing a lot of abstract expressionism okay and he says like I was going very Pollock at the time it was rough you know it got a little weird out there but arts and crafts pulled me through Okay. Which I think is a beautiful outlook on life. And a lot of people, Billy's, we, I think we sent them to each other at the time, but Billy Zane took all these amazing candids on the set of Titanic because he was an artiste and he mm-hmm. like will occasionally post them to Instagram and they're all the best. Oh, Billy. King. <sighs> King of the world even. That's true. Okay. So... They're like, wow, Jack, you saved Rose. You're a hero and you should come have dinner with us tomorrow night. And he's like, okay. (laughs) And then later that evening when Cal and Rose are back in their rooms, Cal gives Rose the heart of the ocean. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I know you've been melancholy and I don't pretend to understand why, but here's a very expensive diamond necklace. And she's like, oh. The next day, 
Rose pays Jack a visit to thank him for saving her Mm -hmm. and for his discretion. And he's like, do you even love Cal? And she's like, you're being very rude. And then they argue a bit. But then she sees his drawings Mm -hmm. because Jack is an artiste and they are drawings of naked sex workers in Paris. He was not getting into abstract expressionism. No. He was pretty straightforward. <laughs> Although it'd be so funny if they if you cut to like Billy Zane's abstract expressionist paintings. Like in his binder, you mean? In Jack's binder? Yeah. He's like, um, I don't know. I guess I just sort of don't know anyone here and I'm just trying some stuff out. <laughs> um, <laughs> that deck scene, I guess that, I mean, I've seen... I'm sure we've both seen audition tapes. Like that was like the audition scene Mm. for Titanic Mm -hmm. for one of them. But the way that the scene is, was rewritten the night before. And there were all of these cool, like for every pee pee poo poo naked story that Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio share, of which there Mm -hmm. are many, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. fart in the jacket, stick it in the face, surprise naked at him. There's, uh, we would pee in the tanks all the time. Like uh-huh. she was like, Leo would eat a ton of garlic on days we had to kiss to prank me. I was just like, you guys are weird. You guys are, you guys are. I, it sounds very like weird sibling kind of mm. like antagonism. Mm-hmm. But, but they also it was kind of cool to like they were always, especially Kate Winslet, who I just love her so much. But like they were always trying to like add in little things into the movie because it sounds like Kate and Leonardo DiCaprio both felt that the movie, they were worried that the movie was going to be too corny Mm. and too earnest. And I think that especially because it was like, whatever DiCaprio was like, like he almost didn't take the part because he's like, he's too perfect. Like where's his damage, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And like Kate Winslet had played a bunch of like complicated roles. And it's not, I mean, Rose is kind of a, meteor role than jack but yeah whatever like i think that they were both trying to add in they're trying to get their little gen x two cents in <laughs> sure. where they could and so they went to james cameron when that scene was being like in the process of being rewritten mm-hmm. and i guess that it was at their insistence that jack says like well do you love the guy or not like stuff like that mm-hmm. like there's a few lines in this movie that the way they would rehearse, I also loved the way that they would rehearse them where like they would do it as written and then James Cameron would have them do the scene again the way that they would just talk to each other mm-hmm. to get like the cadence down for like, well, how would you actually have this conversation? Yeah. And then you would do it as written again with the correct cadence, which oh, is cool. pretty smart way to rehearse people. Yeah. But like they occasionally would like, Kate Winslet got like a lot of stuff into this movie. She is the person who said that rose should spit in cal's face Mm -hmm. originally she was poking him with a hairpin but she was like i already learned how to spit and then james cameron was like shit that should have been my idea (laughs) she and francis fisher also suggest in their scene together where francis fisher is like tying the corset Mm -hmm. originally it was the reverse and kate winslet was tying francis fisher's corset Mm -hmm. and they were like it makes way more sense thematically if it's the other way around and james cameron was like Oh, shit. Maybe I'm not that good of a screenwriter. It's like, yeah, not really. But like, I just, I thought it was fun where every time there was a point where it's like, oh, I got that in. I was like, that's so cool. That is very cool. And I'm glad that James Cameron like listens to reason and lets his. Yeah. He seems grouchy, but it's like, it, it seems like when someone else has a better idea, this is like not a huge comp, but it's like if someone else has a better idea, he will go with that idea. That's good. 
Yeah. Let's take another quick break and then we will come back for more Titanic. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay, so we have this scene with Jack and Rose, and 
it's a little rocky here and there, but then she's like, let me look at your sexy drawings. And then she's like a wooga. And then they're kind of like bonding and, and flirting. And he teaches her how to spit. Speaking of mm-hmm. spitting. I guess that they were spitting that the water CG'd in in that scene. Mm. And they were spitting onto like the floor of a parking lot. Okay. And Leonardo DiCaprio like set up these little targets on the ground. It would be like to try to hit, hit my hit my little target. Wow. I love fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So meanwhile, Bruce Ismay is pressuring Captain E.J. Smith, played by Bernard Hill. I want them to marvel at her speed. Yeah. And he wants the captain to light the last four boilers so that the ship goes really fast and gets to New York City early. Ever heard of New York City? Yeah. Uh, because the maiden voyage of Titanic must, must make, make headlines. Ugh. That actor fucking rules. Apparently, like, he and Francis Fisher are good friends. Mm. And so even in scenes that he wasn't in, that Francis Fisher was in, he would, like, come to set those days and watch her work. He was... So I I was like, oh, it's kind of fun. Mr. Ismay was sitting just off screen for that whole mother-daughter corset scene. He was there. That's nice. I know. He's just supporting his friend. (sighs) Um... Okay, so then it's time for dinner. Molly Brown dresses Jack in her son's tuxedo. Mm-hmm. And then Jack joins Rose and Cal and Ruth and a bunch of other rich first class people for dinner. Mm-hmm. Ruth and Cal think Jack is gross. But Rose is like, wow, I like him. Wee woo, wee woo. What a free spirit. Here's a Molly Brown fact. Please. So Molly Brown... She's very characterized as new money. Mm-hmm. Um, and James Cameron takes a little bit of creative license with her in this, where it's like she was a big personality, and, but also she was, I guess in real life, was like pretty dead set on fitting in and would not speak out as quite as much as she does in the movie. I'm glad she does oh. in the movie. Mm-hmm. But there was like a fun... And I, not, I mean, who cares? It's just like rich people shit. But there's like a brief conversation with John Jacob Astor, who is like the richest man in America at the time, mm-hmm. and his teenage wife. And every account is like, he doted on his wife. And blah, you're like, okay, like she was a teenager, but mm-hmm. I guess he died. But apparently they were like really good friends. And so like James Cameron tried to add in like, there's like a scene, there's like an exchange where Kathy Bates is like, hey, hey Astor. Astor. Yeah. So that is a reference to like how she used to talk to him. And I guess that like the reason that he liked her was because everyone treated him like, you know, God. Mm -hmm. And she was like, really, she treated him like a person. And they used to like go on, they had like been on vacations together. There's a picture of them on camels. Um, So it turns out, I mean, it's like, I know, whatever, you know, that like people knew each other on this boat. But I was like, oh, Molly Brown actually lost like a dear friend. Hmm. And it was just some rich guy with a teenage wife. So ultimately, who cares? <laughs> ultimately, I don't feel but, that bad. But personally, must have been hard for her. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Poor Molly. Yeah. Um. Okay, so after dinner, Jack to Rose is like, so you want to go to a real party? Ding. And he invites Rose to a third class party below deck. And it's a good ass time. Rose, 
is chugging beer. She's smoking cigarettes. She's doing this tippy toe ballet thing. Where she was on wires for that. Ooh, okay. Quick yeah. dancing facts with Jamie. <laughs> Kate Winslet and DiCaprio had to be trained to dance in this. It is them doing all the dancing. Mm-hmm. Kate Winslet all of the stories are like Kate Winslet was lovely and so great Leonardo DiCaprio was like pretty good which I would also describe their caliber of performances in this movie (laughs) yeah but apparently like again I don't know it just sounds like Leonardo DiCaprio's in his like pussy posse I'm a little shit era Mm -hmm. during this because he like I guess would really avoid the dance lessons he like didn't want to do them and I know I'm just like you fucking brat but this is a fun story where the dance coach also like the dance coach is on the commentary track it's very comprehensive wow but the dance coach was like yeah like Kate was having a hard time but she worked really hard at it and she picked on it up on it pretty quickly I was proud of her and I was like Leo uh, was always avoiding me and he didn't want to go to the lessons and every time and she was like I would have to come to his trailer between takes to like help him learn like the clogging dance that Mm -hmm. he does because that was like I mean it wouldn't have been easy and she was like and he eventually learned but I would always have to knock on his trailer for a while and tell him to put his pet lizard away before I could come in. He had a pet lizard on set all the time. Wow. He had a lizard named Blizzard that like lived with him in Mexico. And I guess that the dance, every time the dance instructor came by, she'd have to like pound on his trailer door and be like, put the lizard away. It's dancing time. And he'd be like, no. <laughs> They're like, it really like in i i don't i have no particular attachment to leonardo dicaprio Mm-mm, i'm too either. old for him <laughs> but i was really endeared to him when i found out that he had a lizard friend with him the whole time i'm like wow people really were it sounds like people were really in a strange place mentally on the set of this. Billy Zane's making abstract art. Leo is spooning his lizard. His pet lizard. <laughs> it sounds like everyone's in a very, very like weird place yeah. when they're, but I was like, I wonder whatever became of blizzard, the lizard. Aww. I haven't been able to find pictures of him. Damn her. I don't know. I don't know them. <sighs> I don't, I, I don't know what was going on with blizzard, but I just wanted to say, of course, there wouldn't be a record of Blizzard the Lizard, but he saved Leonardo DiCaprio in, in every, every way, way a person um, can be saved. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we're de- we're below deck at the party. Jack and Rose are really having a blast. They're spinning. The scene ends in what is essentially a conga line. The next day... Oh Wait. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, I found a picture of Leo and Blizzard. Whoa. I'm texting it to you right now. Okay, Wait, thanks. they're actually, oh, God. Why was he so hot during this time? <laughs> Why is the picture of him and Blizzard sexy? Wow, he actually, there's actually, like, a bunch of pictures of him on the set of Titanic with Blizzard. Okay. He, like, loves this. The, it reminds me of, men are so, like, something is so wrong with them. Where, <laughs> like, I read, I read recently, I forget what, I watched... Oh, I watched Ticket to Paradise with Mm -hmm. Julia Roberts and George Clooney. Yeah. Uh, I didn't finish it, to be honest, but I was reading about George Clooney and George Clooney ended a marriage because one of his wives, one of his ex-wives 
was like, I'm really sick of your pet pig. And I guess that it reached the... He has... I think the pig is no longer with us. But he had a pet pig forever. And it was big. And at one point, allegedly, one of his marriages pre Amal mm-hmm. someone said it's me or the pig and he said get out he said I choose the pig he chose the pig wow which I would never recover <laughs> from that but all that to say uh, yeah Leo and his lizard George and his pig <laughs> great I, I love that there's pictures of Leo and Blizzard that actually makes me happy they're very nice oh no we'll, we'll post the pictures on the Instagram when this episode comes out okay so sorry the next morning after this party Cal and Rose are having breakfast and Cal screams at her and he flips a table for hanging out with Jack instead of him Mm-hmm. because he had his undertaker of a manservant follow Rose, this guy named Lovejoy. Yeah. Ruth also gets on Rose's case, saying, you cannot see that boy again, because it turns out that Rose and Ruth's family money is gone and that Rose needs to marry Cal and like have access to his fortune to ensure Rose and Ruth's survival. Right. Um, so basically, Rose needs to stop jeopardizing her relationship with Cal. Frances Fisher had like a really nice, or I guess like a, just like a very thoughtful kind of like meditation on that scene. And she like, uh, she, she seems really sweet. Mm-hmm. She's saying that how like in the 10 years since Titanic had come out, there were a lot of like younger fans. And I know I was in this. I think that like early in this show, we weren't even quite at like comprehension place where it's mm-hmm. like why is the mom so mean and like <laughs> Frances Fisher was like fielding questions like this from young fans of Titanic for years who <laughs> viewed her as a villain mm. which there are villainous you know whatever mm. but yeah. she she did a really I think like concise way of just like talking about how she would talk to younger fans of the movie and she's like no I understand why you feel that way you have to understand like she's like it doesn't make what she did right but mm. Women had no options at this time. They couldn't vote. Mm-hmm. They were already in a precarious position. She should have been thinking about her daughter's mental well-being, but she was thinking about immediacy. And she said, quote, Ruth's pain is that her daughter will not be able to experience safety, unquote. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a very mm-hmm. empathetic view of that character. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, so with all this pressure from her mom... Rose relents and she tells Jack that she cannot see him again. And he is like, Ugh, they've got you trapped, Rose, and you need to break free. You can do it. You're the most amazing, wonderful g- girl, girl I mean, I mean, woman, woman I've ever known. And then we're like, Wow, King. <laughs> <laughs> just but, kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But she's not having it and she leaves. Meanwhile, Mr. Andrews is giving a little tour to the rich people and rose figures out that there are not enough lifeboats on board for all the passengers also captain ej smith is getting iceberg warnings and we're like um foreshadowing much Mm -hmm. and and history fact Mm -hmm. apparently for this for this movie the original like manufacturers of the titanic harland and wolf Mm -hmm. or one of the original manufacturers gave James Cameron access to 
Thomas Andrews earlier drawings and like gave him access to his journals and and process Mm. and so this production was the first to confirm even before history books that there had been versions of the Titanic in which there were enough lifeboats but that like like he says in the movie like it was considered to make the deck look too cluttered and so they were gotten rid of Hmm. so that was actually breaking freaking news wow I know (laughs) kind of cool um okay so then after having told Jack that she can't see him anymore she's like wait a minute fuck this and then she goes back to Jack Mm-hmm. he's at the I believe the bow of the ship the front of it mm-hmm. he's brooding mm-hmm. but she's like Jack I changed, I changed my, mind. my mind and it's sunset and he's like get up here so she like oh. climbs on the railing of the ship and he's like close your eyes and then he like spreads out her arms and she opens her mm-hmm. eyes and she's like I'm flying mm-hmm. and, then, and then I'm and then I'm crying <laughs> and it's all a lot this is a very commonly circulated anecdote, but mm. for that scene, some of the shots are done with a matte painting of the sunset, but the big kissing shot was done with an actual sunset Ooh. and they waited for forever. They were like, whatever. It was like we, they had two chances at the shot and Kate Winslet, it was one, I don't know. I feel like Kate Winslet and James Cameron, their relationship is so confusing, but like this was a positive anecdote with them mm-hmm. where Kate and Leo are up on the railing and then there's one one of the takes where Kate Winslet was like we need to go right now and James Cameron like listened to her and started shooting and that is the shot that's used in the movie and apparently it's a little bit out of focus because it was so like she was like you need to do it right now and Mm -hmm. he had them start shooting before they were fully focus checked yeah I can't tell like I couldn't tell but like apparently that shot is a little bit out of focus but they both talk about that and they're like that was a beautiful collaborative moment Mm. I know and then she and Jack kiss 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 yeah and it's nice (laughs) and then they go to her room and she shows him the heart of the ocean and she's like I want you to draw me like one of your French girls wearing this (gasps) wearing only this this and then he goes, and he's like, awooga. <laughs> the awooga sounds. And then James Cameron goes, what? What? <laughs> um, Fun fact about the the drawing scene. Mm-hmm. So Rose is nude. Jack's drawing her. Everyone knows that's actually James Cameron drawing her. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. We will not rehash that. A new thing I learned was that, you know how like in the music in that scene is like just a single piano playing mm-hmm. the rose theme yeah a fun oh i love fun facts so james <laughs> horner may he rest in peace mm-hmm. huge collaborator of james cameron amongst others mm-hmm. but there was like a file confusion where so i guess that like james horner had recorded himself playing this track on the piano himself as like a test Mm. of like it would sound something like this and like I don't know what the 1996 version of the cloud was but uploaded it to like a mutual server (laughs) with with the file name sketch sketch meaning this isn't finished this is a rough draft yeah right James Cameron sees a file named sketch and thinks it's for the sketching scene and so Mm. because I guess James Cameron did a lot of editing or like pre-editing for this movie Mm -hmm. and there was like 
he was trying to get this scene together and was like, oh, this isn't quite syncing up. Like, I don't really know what he's thinking with this, but then figures it out and then is like, wait, I love this. This like is perfect. It's so like spare and beautiful. And he like called James Horner and he's like, I love sketch. And <laughs> James Horner's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I guess that like James Horner like had to really be talked into like, letting them use that in the final cut of the movie because he was like I had a whole hmm. plan and James Cameron's like no this is good I no. love I love sketch wow I know isn't that sweet it's very sweet yeah the movies <laughs> the movie really feeling like a movie Cinema. in this scene tell you what it really is um okay so she's like draw me like one of your french girls and then he draws her like one of his french girls it's the drawing we saw at the beginning and it was the most erotic moment of Rose's life. Up until, until then, at least. <laughs> and then you cut to Bill Paxton, horny. <laughs> okay, then Lovejoy, who is still following Rose at Cal's behest, comes in and starts chasing Rose and Jack around the ship. Mm-hmm. They end up in like the storage compartments where all of like the big crates and cars mm-hmm. are being stored and they get into a car and Jack is like, beep, beep, where to miss? And she's like, to, to the, the stars. stars. And then she pulls him into the back seat and she says, put your hands on me, Jack. And then she, to quote the script, slides under his welcome weight. Now that's something that comes up in all seven episodes and it should. It is just not okay that that's the way that that was written down. No one should have said that. No one should have thought that. And James Cameron should have had to pay some sort of fine. He should have to chop all of his fingers off. He, oh my God. What, ugh. What is give me James Cameron's Banshees of Inna Sharon, honestly? Like, who is he sending his damn fingers to? Like, uh, who would I wonder if there, there has to be a director that James Cameron can't stand, right? Like, oh. I know that Del Toro is one of his best friends, and he has a lot of good, seems like, in terms of like, I mean, and this means nothing because it's like among male auteurs, he seems mm. to be pretty well liked. But I'm like, there has to be someone who's on his shit list. Oh, sure. Who is he mailing those fingers to? <laughs> I, I, I want to know. Mm-hmm. Or or Banshees of Inisherin, where Del Toro is Colin Farrell and James Cameron is Brendan Gleeson, where <laughs> one day James Cameron's like, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And Del Toro's like, why that would be so sad well it was so sad when it happened to colin farrell (laughs) i know (laughs) it's always so sad it's the saddest story uh, about friends who are boys Uh. (laughs) okay so so jack and rose have sex in the back of the car Mm -hmm. and this is when we get the hand slapping the steamy window moment yeah iconic love it Then they go back up to the deck of the ship and Rose is like, when the ship docks, I'm getting off with you. And he's like, oh my God, what? And then they're kissing and they're giggling and it's distracting the two lookouts who are in like the crow's nest area. And that is like a brilliant (laughs) writing decision of like, um, they saw people kissing and they got horny. Therefore they're, they have blood on their hands. (laughs) Therefore the Titanic sunk. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they're too distracted to notice the iceberg that is directly ahead of them. But then they look up and they see the iceberg and they sound the alarm. Then 
there is, in my opinion, maybe the best and most tension-filled sequence ever committed to film. I agree. Where all of the crew is scrambling around. They're trying to prevent the ship from hitting the iceberg. There's this moment of, is it going to hit? Is it going to miss? Well, I don't know. Which is wild because you know how it ends. You know. But he still makes you feel that way. But like, the tension. It's so ugh. good. And my my already very high opinion of this sequence was further improved there's like a million little bit it's like that scene is also full of like historical references too like that sequence specifically there was a mm. lot of care taken to like reference survivors who were very helpful in piecing together a cohesive account of what actually happened and so mm -hmm. there's like one of the men that worked in the engine room who was like a huge source for like giving insight into what was going on there mm. he like appears and like has a line of dialogue and then like there's just like all of these like incidental players in the story that like helped build out this clear picture that this movie is even able to exist because of mm -hmm. and i just i just ugh, i love shit like that i'm so glad that it's like you take the time to like have this or even shit like the fucking pomeranian you're like mm -hmm. movie feels like a movie folks i love it james cameron does his research he goes to the library he and, and he, he reads those books he stay he and 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 he stays for more than a day. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't think yeah. he goes to the library. Someone goes on his behalf and they photocopy a lot of stuff. He, I don't know how much <laughs> he leaves his house. Brings a library <laughs> to him. But he consumes yeah. it is the point. Yes, yes. So anyway, so there's this very tension filled moment and ultimately historically famously the Titanic hits the iceberg. And it is boink. chaos. <laughs> it goes boink. Yeah. The Foley artist was on the thing being like, so it, not a lot of people know this, but when they hit the iceberg, it kind of went boink. <laughs> what if it was like, what's the, wow. like, I'm thinking of like a, like a, an old timey, like a Hanna-Barbera sound effect of like, clonk. <laughs> Like when Fred Flintstone gets hit on the head. <laughs> what if mm. it was like that? That should be a thing. Maybe that's a project I will undergo where I, because mm -hmm. I'm already oh yeah oh, knee that's... deep in my re-editing the endings of movies to make them far more Shrekian. Maybe I will re-edit Foley work. Re-edit famous scenes of movies, changing the Foley around to make it really well exciting that's what i did with figure skaters during the olympics and it got mm. it ruined my life for a while so just be careful who oh. you're fucking with okay yeah 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 i watched an interview with james camp i'm just i'm in the zone like <laughs> i know he's not a good person i cannot stop watching there i i was watching an interview he did at the time yeah, in like 97 with um, famously disgraced Charlie Rose. Mm. But there were two things he said in the interview that made me laugh mm. with the not because I'm from the future and they're not. Uh -huh. <laughs> but two things he said in the interview that made me laugh was that he said several times like, oh, like he was talking about how whatever, like you will not get engaged into the story of the Titanic unless you care about the characters and you also can like fully appreciate what the ship was in its heyday and like what it meant. Mm -hmm. And he is like, well, you know, like you can go on and on and on about the power of the love between two people until you're blue in the face, but I don't know why you'd do that. And I was like, blue in the face. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Until you're blue 
in the face. Yeah. And thus Avatar was born. And oh. the, he was foreshadowing himself hard. And then like at the end, famously disgraced Charlie Rose asks like, oh, are you going to keep making epics after this? And he says, he it's pretty funny. He was like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm ever going to make another like three hour movie. I don't think that I would do that. And I was like, wow. Oh. Well, you're going to say that until you're blue in the face, my friend, because <laughs> you're about to make Avatar 1. 1, and then 2, and then 3 other Avatar movies. And then movies. 4, and then 5. <laughs> We're never going to escape. All right. Okay. Moving on. So <laughs> the ship hits the iceberg. It's chaos as water starts cascading into the lower decks of the ship and into the boiler room where the workers are trying desperately to escape. Water starts seeping onto the floors of the third class rooms. Meanwhile, first class people are like, Teehee, what's going on? Stop. Then Jack and Rose go to tell Ruth and Cal about the ship hitting the iceberg and the gravity of the situation. But Cal is busy framing Jack for stealing the heart of the ocean. And Jack gets arrested and handcuffed to a pipe in the master at arms office and rose is like damn i guess my boyfriend who i met two days ago is a thief that sucks life comes at you fast like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then mr andrews is having a meeting with bruce ismay and the captain Ooh, and some other end of vhs tape one mm -hmm. we're in it baby he's saying the ship will sink it's a mathematical certainty we've got an hour to the most and then the captain turns to Bruce Ismay and says, I believe you may get your headlines, Mr. Ismay. And then we go, because it's like the most iconic. I may like there's so many amazing lines, but I do think that that's my favorite. It's really good because it has like this like generational significance too. like mm -hmm. I understand like if a 17 year old watched this movie, there's no way that would be their favorite line. But I feel like the VHS split, uh -huh. it has a generational significance. <laughs> it's true. It's my favorite line in the movie. And also I'm like, bitchy much, Captain Smith? What are you, like, mm. you did it. Like, uh, okay, quick fun fact. I think maybe we've, I feel like maybe we've referenced this before, but Bernard Hill, who plays Captain Smith, mm -hmm. was the only cast member, which is like, this makes sense, but he was the only cast member to have previously also been in a different Titanic movie. Have we ever talked about that? Whoa. Oh, you mean kind of like how, oh, what's the SpongeBob voice actor who was in both Pinocchios? Tom Kenny. Tom and Kenny. Yes. <laughs> it's Tom Kenny. It's the Tom Kenny Pinocchio syndrome. The ground was set by Bernard Hill and Titanic properties. What other Titanic movie was he in? He was in A Night to Remember. I think the second most famous Titanic movie that came out, I believe, in the 50s. He would have been a small child, yeah? No, he was a young man. I think oh. that he is like in the, because this is the 90s, this is like 40 years later. So oh. I think, you know, Bernard Hill is like in his maybe late 60s or like sometime somewhere in his 60s. Okay, so he was sure. in his early 20s. But he plays the part of Officer Fleet, who I believe is one of the uh, guys that spots the iceberg oh. in A Night to Remember. Uh -huh. And he. I guess there is like a fun, I keep saying there's a fun anecdote, but it, uh, but I'm right. Um, 
one of the producers was talking about how like Bernard Hill, you know, he was like he had played Officer Fleet and now he's playing the captain 45 mm. years later. How mm. wild. Mm-hmm. And so he spoke with the actor who plays Officer Fleet in this movie. Mm-hmm. And again, I just am like, the more you you just hear about the actors, it just sounds like they are really like, it felt like, it sounds like they were going through what we as a world would go through during lockdown where you're just like kind of stuck somewhere and you're just kind of like something is different in your brain but Mm -hmm. you can't but there's no one like completely with it to verify that with um so the guy who played officer fleet had been in mexico where he didn't know anybody for six weeks Mm -hmm. and then met bernard hill and he was like hey how long were you on set waiting to do your scenes for a night to remember and bernard hill was like "Mm, two hours (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile this poor guy is like losing it Mm -hmm. and is like not himself anymore and bernard hill is like i don't know kind of back then you were just gonna go to burbank and like say your lines and get the fuck out like (laughs) and it just sounded um, very. I don't know. I guess if I was an older actor, I would um, I would clown on younger actors in a similar way. Sure. I'd be like, "Yeah, must suck for you." Uh, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so do that's... the part that I formerly played justice, or else I'm gonna bully you. I don't know. Why aren't they turning? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wonder if it was that guy or the other guy. Oh, I don't know. Don't know. Yeah. Okay. So. The crew starts loading the first-class passengers into the lifeboats. Women and children first, of course. Which was not maritime law. That Mm. was unusual. Oh. Generally, it was every man for himself. Oh. Yeah. So so that's happening. The string quartet is playing. Rose is about to get on a lifeboat with her mom and Molly and the other rich women. And then Cal says something very cow and shitty is this when he says i should have kept that drawing it would have been worth a lot more by morning yeah and so once (laughs) again she's like fuck this she says my favorite line of the movie to cal which is you unimaginable bastard you and then she spits in his face kate winslet baby oh it wouldn't have worked with with a hairpin grow up yeah right oh it's so good the way she does it it's so cathartic it's wonderful and then she runs off to go find jack who is still handcuffed to a pipe Mm -hmm. and the room that he's in is filling with water rose finds him but oh no there's no key to the handcuffs so she goes and gets an axe she chops the handcuff chain Mm -hmm. uh, freeing him and then they have to swim through the freezing cold water back to safety jack and rose then link up with fabrizio and tommy they're still below deck because at this point has she already punched the employee in the face yes because she does that right before she finds the axe right okay i wanted to just share a quick anecdote about that Mm -hmm. before we get because the third class fact that is like included in the movie is that in the movie it's like tommy 
runs the charge of like the bench through the um yeah so apparently that actually did happen and there was a bunch of irish third class passengers who did something very similar mm. which i didn't know i thought that was really cool that they included that mm-hmm. but i wanted to share a fun james cameron another just james cameron <laughs> sitting in a room talking line uh-huh. because again he talks about all of his characters as if someone else has written them but in a way where it's like he really likes the movie. He enjoys watching it. Um, <laughs> so after Rose, whatever, when Rose is coming back down looking for the axe mm-hmm. and there's like a panicked employee who's like, you have to come with me. And she yeah. punches him in the face. She mm-hmm. says, listen. James Cameron says, quote, Rose is all about getting people to listen to her. And that's what you get. Long pause. If you don't listen to Rose. <laughs> He's kind of... He's kind of talking about nothing for most Nonsense. of it, but I was yeah. just, I was so delighted. I was like, it, you, you just sound like a guy watching the movie. <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine it. it's very difficult to have to comment basically nonstop during a three hour and 14 minute movie. But you, you just know he ramble. insisted on doing it by himself. Like, right. I'm just like, why didn't you just, like, invite a second person, you know? <laughs> why is why are there 14 people on one commentary track and then you doing this for the other one? Yeah. But it was, but it, but it was literally just, like, random things like that and then just, like, facts James Cameron knows about the Titanic. Because ultimately, that is why he did it. He really just wanted an excuse to go explore the wreckage of Titanic. And that is why the movie exists. Dude, I respect the hell out of that. As like, <laughs> as, as someone who has made their living just like getting other people to pay for things that I wanted to do anyways. Mm. And then making something about it, it. It is the perfect crime. Pretty cool. Yeah. Works for everyone. <laughs> okay. So Jack and Rose link up with Fabrizio and Tommy. They are still below deck because while the first class people are being loaded onto the lifeboats, the third class passengers are being locked behind gates. Mm-hmm. So Jack and Tommy and the other guys break down a gate. Back on deck, it's chaos as people are trying to get on lifeboats because there are famously not enough. Jack gets Rose to a lifeboat and Cal is there and he's like, I've arranged for both Jack and I to get on a boat. So she's like, okay, I'll get on this lifeboat. But then she looks up at Jack and once again, she's like, fuck this. And she jumps off. And then Billy Zane gives another one of my like top 10 line reads of the movie. Mm. He's pretty heavily featured in my top 10 line reads. He goes, one way or another with well, the way he says one way or another i'm like how did you even oh, do that with your mouth like, i always win jack one way or another one way or another he says one way or another as if it is like a single word like you're just like <laughs> how did he do that that is so wild okay quick thing about dicaprio mm-hmm. that based on because we've covered a number of leonardo dicaprio flims yes on this podcast we i believe it was the summer of 2020 i remember where i was When we covered Inception and we bravely made the connection that Leonardo DiCaprio is constantly wet in clothes in his movies. Yeah. All the time. It happens with alarming frequency. Mm -hmm. It happens in almost every single one. It's kind of like it's in his contract or something. Like I have to be in clothes submerged in water. So imagine my shock Mm. when I'm listening to the 
producer slash everybody who's not James Cameron commentary track that yeah. DiCap- like Leonardo DiCaprio is glaringly missing. He was not <laughs> available. He was inside of a bear or whatever he was doing. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. But producer John Landau says very matter of factly, Leonardo DiCaprio hates acting in the water. Wow. And I was like, you wouldn't. Now that's a shock. From all of his movies. And then Kate Winslet jumps onto that and says that he was such a baby every time he had to be in the water. And she, I think she was like a little, she sounded 10 years later annoyed about it because (laughs) she was just like, she's like, and it's just interesting because. You know, he was in the water for a lot of scenes, but not even half as many scenes as I was in the water. And I got hypothermia and I just like kind of really didn't complain as much as he did on set. (laughs) But apparently, like, even though the water scenes were interesting to hear about, again, it's like Kate Winslet is just like left in the fucking trenches in this because in spite of not lighting king to act in the water leonardo dicaprio is scuba certified for some reason okay probably because he's in the water all the time (laughs) um even before this movie so he's already scuba certified but kate winslet there's like an anecdote in the in the scene where they're trying to unlock the gate so that they don't drown yes in that scene, Kate Winslet had like a panic attack on set because they were filling the set with water, like practical effects style. Yeah. And so there were only a couple of inches to breathe. But to James Cameron's credit, like it seems like he did everything he could to set up safety protocols. And like mm-hmm. there were rescue divers, like no one was significantly injured or died. It sounds like the PCP thing was about as bad as it got. But like the safety instructor showed Kate Winslet like, it is going to feel scary because there only will be a couple of inches to breathe. But if you push up on the ceiling, there is a ton of space and you're fine. Mm, and that okay. was like how the scene was set up. And so she felt comfortable with that. But then it happened that like when they were doing a take, she pushed up on the scene and the ceiling stuck. <gasps> and so there was not infinite space. And she had like a panic attack and then like had to take some time oh, during the day. Like, yeah. I know it just ugh, this shooting this movie sounded like it sounded like everything was done that was possible but still it's like you're sinking a boat every day it just sounded fucking terrible I yeah I could not um sorry I was looking through our Instagram to find the post that we made of all of the like screen grabs from movies where Leonardo DiCaprio is in water he had been in water many times at this point. The fact that he's still complaining about it is unprofessional. And many times after. Um, oh, yeah. Because we've got Inception, obviously Titanic, The Beach, Shutter Island, mm-hmm. Great Gatsby. Yes. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, he's in the water, is he not? Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. That was pre-Titanic. He falls in a pool in Wolf of Wall Street. He's in water in The Revenant. He falls into water in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. It's just like... He's always in water and he's always in his clothes in water. It's honestly like with that in mind, it's absolutely shocking that Kate Winslet is in Avatar Way of Water and he isn't. Right. <laughs> like if there's anyone who's primed for being in the water, it's DiCaprio. But yeah. apparently I was just I was truly like shocked and appalled to hear that he didn't like it because not to empathize with him because who cares? But you're also mm-hmm. like wow if he really truly doesn't like acting in water his life is a nightmare (laughs) like he little does he know he's gonna be in the water for another 15 years minimum Mm -hmm. 
you know, like they're not going to take him out of the tank. Like I assumed he liked being in the water or why would this be happening to him so much? But apparently as of 97, he did not like being in the water. He was peeing in the water. He was complaining (laughs) about the water. Blizzard starving to death off screen. Who knows what's going on with Blizzard? It's oh, a mess. Blizzard the Lizard. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Blizzard the Lizard. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> who knows? Okay, so Rose is in this lifeboat, but then she's looking up at Jack and she's like, actually, no, I'm going to jump off the lifeboat, jump onto Titanic and be with Jack. And then she and Jack are running toward each other. I love this and sequence then they so much. Meet up and then they're kissing. And it's so beautiful. She's like, you jump, I jump. And he's like, yeah. God, they're so ridiculous. <laughs> I really, I really love them. I That sequence never doesn't get me big time. Mm. See, I'm just like romance is dead i have no feelings and i only have feelings it's ruining my (laughs) life it gets me every time if you want to feel some technical distance from it there's a fun they had to like shoot that upshot of leonardo dicaprio Mm -hmm. like when the boat is lowering from both angles because they only have one side of the boat right and so apparently there's a few cuts in the back and forth where Leonardo DiCaprio's part will shift just so because so much of this movie was shot in reverse that I sent to you something that I think should be Bechtel cast merch where something that wasn't completely symmetrical in in its costuming or whatever it was such as lettering lettering so like a white star line uniform that says white star line they would have to shoot it not for but for certain scenes they would have to shoot it with a regular costume and then they would also have to shoot it with a costume that just said everything backwards because they're like oh well this is for this side of the boat so we're just going to reverse shot everything so this will make things easier Mm -hmm. and i want a backwards white star line sweatshirt so bad i jamie really you can design that i know and i and i feel like our listeners will value it as well and it's it's the best kind of piece of clothing because it's like a little annoying but not too annoying, which is my favorite, my right. favorite. And it's like, when you know, you know. Yeah. And it's also a conversation starter. But if you don't, like, that's fine, and I'll keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an adult. Right. Um, okay, so Rose has jumped off the lifeboat and met back up with Jack, which makes Cal very upset that Rose chose Jack over him. I hope you're happy together. <laughs> he grabs Lovejoy's gun and starts shooting at them. So they have to escape and run back down into the bowels of the ship, which are very full of water. And there's this little boy that Jack and Rose try to save. They almost get trapped behind another gate, but they make it out at the last second. Quick thing about the little boy. Mm. That was shot, obviously, so that like there was no little boy stunt double that was knocked over by 50,000 tons of water. <laughs> yeah. But in any case, it, like the way that that scene was shot, I just thought it was so interesting where in that scene... A stuntman and a little dummy of a little boy are knocked over by a ton of water. Mm -hmm. And then the cast off of that water, like a ton of water also hits Jack and Rose. Yep. That shot is one of the first face swapping, like deep fake shots ever committed to film. Mm. That is not the actors. That's their stunt doubles because it was like you couldn't ask an actor to be hit with that amount of force those are stunt doubles and right. yeah Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet's face are deep faked onto that and I watched it to try to see if like how obvious it was 
it didn't feel super obvious to me, but I think we, we should go back and watch it together sometime. But apparently that's like one of the first deep fake shots ever done. Interesting. I know. It's wild. Well, Jamie, come over literally whenever to watch Titanic. <laughs> I mean, like we will probably watch it on tour and then also at the movies. Yeah. The movies. Yeah. <gasps> we come to this place for Titanic. Oh, baby. We come we'll to go into that place. To laugh, to cry, to watch Titanic. We are going to that place. Um. Okay. Meanwhile, Cal is trying to get on a lifeboat and he uses a lost child as an excuse to get on I a boat. I have a child. I have a child. He's so iconic. <laughs> nearby, Captain E.J. Smith is disassociating. Yes, which is a creative choice by Bernard Hill. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The band stops playing, but then one of them keeps playing by himself and then they all join back in. It's beautiful. Then there's this montage where you see the old couple in bed together. Isidore Strauss and his wife. (laughs) Real people. Yes. In the scene with the Irish woman and her children, Mm -hmm. that is, we've talked about this before, that was an actor named... I don't remember, but she was like a James Cameron yes. standby character. She had previously acted in brown face for him, which is like, in aliens. we had that discussion in aliens, um, our aliens episode, yeah. but fun fact for Titanic. I feel like it is very, very well remembered that she talks to her children about the land of Tir Nanog mm-hmm. and an Irish folktale. And she came up with that. That was not a James Cameron original. That was oh. her doing research on a bedtime story that an Irish woman of that time would have told her kids, which I thought was really sweet. Cool. That was nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we see, yeah, we see the old couple. We see the Irish mommy with her kids. We see all this chaos continuing to ensue as half of the boat is now completely underwater people are falling off the ship into the water Mm -hmm. the captain's room floods a smokestack falls over and crushes Fabrizio okay quick thing there I'm sorry I know we've been recording this for 900 years (laughs) it's been 84 years yes okay (laughs) so are you aware of the alternate Fabrizio death yes because it's in the screenplay Okay, so I just wanted to rehash it. Mm-hmm. Fabrizio, apparently it was shot so that they had multiple options for Fabrizio to die. So by mm-hmm. the time, between the script and the shooting, they were like, we're not sure. We know this character is going to die. Yeah. We're not sure how. Tragic. Danny Nucci had some fun quotes about it. He was just like, I died five or six different times. And then I just had to go see the movie and see what they chose. Wow. <laughs> because in the original, like the smokestack is CG'd in. So like that shot very easily could have been him being like, oh, no, it's so wet or like whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, <laughs> you know, Um Okay, this did sound familiar, so you've probably told me before, but it was just, like, fun to revisit. There is a version of it that they shot mm-hmm. that I haven't seen before, but I'm I'm sure it exists somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fabrizio gets out of the wreck, paddles over to the lifeboat that Cal is in, mm-hmm. gets up and says... You don't understand. I have to go to America. Like in his Italian accent, that's definitely real. Whatever. (laughs) And then Cal whacks him with an oar Mm -hmm. on the head and says, it's that way. And that's how he dies. He dies via blunt trauma with Cal. 
and I think that everyone decided that like Cal was maybe bad enough already <laughs> and that was maybe not necessary. Didn't need to commit murder even though he already tried to murder his fiance and Jack. Um yeah. Right. He was bad enough. Yeah. But that was like I just it was wild. I I think I for, had forgotten about that and it was a wild thing to revisit. That's the version that's in the draft of the screenplay that's readily available. Okay. If you download the screenplay of Titanic, which you can find online, it's very similar to the finished movie that we all know and love, but there are a few scenes such as the Fabrizio death scene that are pretty different in this version of the script than what ends up in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's the version of his death that is in that draft of the script. Pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Fabrizio tragically dies via smokestack. Also, Tommy had been shot a while back. I didn't put that in when it actually happened. Yeah. Jack and Rose are running to the other end of the ship, the stern, trying to stay on the ship as long as possible. And Rose is like, Jack, this is where we first met. And he goes, (laughs) okay. Um, Kate Winslet, for those scenes, because they were like chained or like harnessed to the side of the boat, Mm -hmm. like there was like a a set that was called like the rotating poop deck for like those ending scenes Mm. where it would just be like, mechanically up and down yeah but it was so difficult to navigate that kate winslet took it upon herself again icon to put like basically a full makeup kit in the pocket of her the big jacket where the heart of the ocean is supposed to be Uh and she would do her makeup touch-ups and leonardo dicaprio's makeup touch-ups so that a makeup artist wouldn't have to get like harnessed up onto Mm -hmm. the boat to fix them before shots whoa she's the best she rocks i know she's so cool love it brock love it okay brock love the it. stern <laughs> <laughs> the stern is rising up and up as the bow sinks this is when a guy falls off the ship and hits the propeller and spins which everyone remembers. i cannot even count yeah how many people everyone i've been like i love the movie titanic and someone will be like Wow, the only thing I remember from that movie is when the guy hits the propeller. We talked about this very briefly in our Avatar episode where, like, when push comes to shove, James Cameron knows how to kill someone in an interesting way. Yeah. Because I I didn't, because Avatar, I think this is not controversial at all, but, like, it's just, like, not as memorable a movie as Titanic Mm -hmm. is. But there are a number of kills at the peak of Avatar's action that are equally, like, Oh my God, what? <laughs> like people are being ripped in half and you're just yeah. like, holy shit. Like, yeah, when, when when the moment comes, he is not afraid to really let people die. I mean, the guilty and the innocent because it's not like, I mean, at least in Avatar, it's a little more cathartic because it's like the colonizers. So they're asking for it. Mm-hmm. They're asking to be torn in half. Mm-hmm. Propeller guy, I mean... Tell me what he did wrong. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know who that is. Can you imagine how horrific? I mean, I don't think this would be the stronger creative choice, but like in a world where we had met, like there had been some plant and payoff with Propeller Guy, like we had met him before. Oh my God. (laughs) I would be devastated. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Fabrizio's girlfriend, she's nuked. 
Yeah. You know, she got on the wrong side of the rails. Sorry, babe. It's so sad. It's sad. Um, Okay. Then the ship breaks in half and the back half of the ship sinks and Rose and Jack end up in the water among hundreds of other people. Mm -hmm. They swim over to a door Mm -hmm. and they both try to get on it. It flips over because it's not about size. It's about buoyancy, as we've said. Um, So just Rose ends up on the door. Mm-hmm. Jack is in the freezing water. They are waiting for the lifeboats to come back and save the people in the water. Rose is like, I'm really cold and I can't feel my body and I feel like I might die. Mm-hmm. And Jack is like, you're not going to die here. You're going to live a full life. Promise me you'll do that and never let go of that promise. Almost like that's setting it up for a scene that's going to happen shortly where she does that and then she dies. And I don't but, you know, think so. It's hard to say. <laughs> I do have one quick thing I wanted to add in that I forgot. I I, I just am toggling between my commentary notes. Mm-hmm. Something I thought was interesting about when the ship is going down, the like all those poop deck shots. Yeah. When the, when the ship is like submerging for the final time. Again, just like there's so many like early. I don't know. Like again, he's a bad man, but but but. Uh, boy did he get results you know like (laughs) there are all of these like cg things that are now so normal in movies that like james cameron was like innovating on the set of titanic Mm -hmm. where instead of because like cg was still very much whatever in process like there were all of these shots when the boat was straight up and sinking the last section of it that they would call toilet paper shots Mm. because they would have the human extras and like, you know, Jack and Rose and, and the chef and the girlfriend and all this stuff for for actors who would have to fall and get hurt mm-hmm. in CG that you couldn't do in a way that was safe for a stunt actor. They would have an actor, sometimes actually Kate Winslet, drop a roll of toilet paper from their mark so that the post-production editor could go back and CG in the green screenshot of someone falling Mm -hmm. and like hitting something or or whatever it was. And so there were all these things called toilet paper shots. And you could see some of them online of just like famous actors dropping a roll of toilet paper um it's kind of fun that's fun i like it okay so jack is like never let go of that promise and she says i'll never let go jack some time passes a lifeboat finally shows up with sexy crew member number 12 or whatever um Played by... Eon Griffith as 5th Officer Har- Harold Lowe. Yes. He's the person I have a story about. So, like, Ooh. Kathy Bates in the commentary, because he goes on to have a bit of a career, which even James Cameron says in his commentary. He's like, this guy's he's he's in Fantastic Four. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's about it. But, you know, he's done a thing or two, mm-hmm. right? And Kathy Bates said, like, on in the day, like, where they're in the fucking tank Mm -hmm. in Burbank but that day specifically where it's a bunch of extras literally lying motionless pretending to be dead and that was like a really emotional day Mm -hmm. and that she was so moved by his performance that she was like sobbing on set in a way that was like she wasn't supposed to be Mm -hmm. and it isn't in the movie but like she just had a really emotionally difficult time and she said that like 
she she just she was like, I gotta hand it to him. I cried myself to sleep that night when he's like doing the. Is, is there any life out there? there? Ooh, it's Can tough. anybody hear it's me? Bad. Can everybody hear me? And you're just like, oh. they freaking can't. Except for Rose, of course, and she's not real. <laughs> and those Pomeranian and the and the two Pomeranians oh. fucking dog paddling oh. for their for dear life. <laughs> Oh my god. I feel like if honestly, I mean, and I say that cuz he's in my lap right now, but like if Flea was on the Titanic, I would die and he would live. You would put him on the door and you would sacrifice yourself. No, I would get on the door and leave him for dead and I would still die and he would still live. <laughs> he's just very strong. I would be like, "Listen, cats are survivors." Life expectancy wise, you got to go and he'd be like, "I understand." But then I would I would just not be strong enough. I would die. <laughs> And he would be like, all right, let me hop up on this. Also, if it was me and Flea on the door, mm. I feel like the buoyancy would, you know, Flea weighs nine pounds. He'd be fine. <laughs> That's true. That's so true. Yeah. Um, okay. So Ewan Griffola, it's Ewan McGregor all oh, over again. Ewan McGregor? I don't know. I, I mean, I this... bullshitted my way through it and you did not call me out, which I thought was really kind of you. I said, Ewan Griffith. <laughs> It might be something kind of close to that. I feel like people have tried to tell us what it is before. Because it's a Welsh name spelled I-O-A-N. That's his first name. G-R-U-F-F-U-D-D. I simply don't know how it's pronounced. Anyway. It's just a lot of vowels. It's hard to know. Yeah. But he shows up on a lifeboat. And Rose is like, Jack, there's a boat. There's a boat, Jack. But Jack is dead. Oops. And she calls out. She says that. She goes, oops. (laughs) Oops. And then she's like, I'll never let go. I promise. And then she tries to call out and get Mr. Lifeboat's attention. Then she swims over and blows on a whistle. And she is saved. Mm -hmm. Cut back to the Keldish where old Rose and Brock Lovett and all those people are. Brock is having a feeling for the first time in his life. He's having a hard time. (laughs) Yeah. And Rose says. I never spoke about Jack before this because a woman's heart is a deep ocean of secrets. Oof. And Brock is like, damn, I never really appreciated Titanic before. Damn, damn. I never let it in. But now I get it. Then we see Rose on the deck of the Keldish. She has the heart of the ocean in her hand. We have talked through previously the alternate ending to this movie, which sucks. We will not rehash it here. Yeah. There is a, a long, garbagey Susie Amos <laughs> bill paxton like what what hey old rose please restate the moral of the movie (laughs) version that that absolutely sucks but this version i just feel like this just happens to be the one movie where every right choice was made because the ending to this movie is perfect i do hate that she throws the necklace in the water but i mean ideally would she you know like sell it and then redistribute the funds yes Yes. symbolically for a person who never existed with a (laughs) macguffin it doesn't bother me and it makes me cry yeah because she was like ultimately this because it's like whatever ultimately this was meaningless it was the love that mattered and now having done this i can die or i can fall asleep and have a dream about it okay so yeah. Rose has the heart of the yeah, ocean boring. because of that scene earlier where Cal is like, I put the diamond in the coat and I put the coat on her. And he put the coat on her. 
So Rose. And then let's not forget that the depression hit him pretty hard and he put a pistol in his mouth this year. Or so she read. Yeah. Or so she read. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. He could be like a Pomeranian. He could still be around. (laughs) So Rose has the heart of the ocean and she's had it this whole time and she throws it in the water and she goes, ah, and I'm annoyed. Then I no, she's iconic. (laughs) Then we see Rose in bed with all of her pictures of the full life that she lived because she never let go of her promise to Jack. All of these photos were photoshopped except for Kate Winslet on the horse because Kate, which James Cameron pointed out because he's like, and Kate is afraid of horses. Oh, I know my friend. Um, (laughs) And then what happens? Okay. So some people will interpret this as Rose dying and going to heaven. Other really cool and really smart people will interpret this as Rose falling asleep and having a dream. But what we see, or just people who like haven't really grappled with their mortality. (laughs) I have something to, I have something to share here because James Cameron has a bonanza with this (laughs) thing. He makes it, he has a little bit of fun with this. So he says, quote, the big ambiguity here is, is she alive and dreaming or is she dead and on her way to Titanic heaven here? And of course, I'll never tell. (laughs) I mean, I know what was intended at the time, but that doesn't mean I have to go blurting it out. I know you bought this expensive special edition DVD, which I did, uh, (laughs) and you were hoping for the answer, but the answer is that has to be something that you supply personally and as an individual. Wow. Isn't that awesome? And so it says something about people based on their interpretation of what happens. It says that everyone, it says that he, I think what, what my, in my opinion, like genuinely in my opinion, it says that whatever creative choice he made didn't read as strongly as he thought it would. And then he's like, um, so that's kind of art, right? <laughs> like, which is what I would do in the same situation where I'm uh-huh. like, oh yeah, I made an unclear choice. Um, that was on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of iconic that, and I hope he never tells us. And I hope that we both think that we're right until we either fall asleep or die, which means I'm right. We will die one day. We will not just keep falling asleep. Um, but but I liked huh. I, I was I was frantically transcribing that because I was so excited to be like, he said something and it was nothing. And it was nothing. It was great. I love that he refuses to be clearer. It's it's great. Um so the dream or heaven, based on your interpretation, is Yes. And James Cameron says, This scene, I cry at my own movie. <laughs> which is so <laughs> which is so i was like i cry at your own movie so good for you good for you so we see young rose she's like entering the big like grand staircase area of titanic jack is waiting for her at the top of the staircase just like you said they're surrounded by everyone who was on the ship rose walks up the staircase and she and jack kiss the end yay i love caitlin great job i loved my last fun fact to share yes. is that James Cameron's... Well, actually, no, I have two more fun... F- I'm sorry. Okay. It's okay. My my last James Cameron fun fact is that they shot that last... Um, the First of all, everyone who shot the staircase dream slash death sequence 
did not think it would be included in the final cut. It was something that Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio thought was far too corny to make the final cut. Mm. But then it did. But they also <laughs> shot it with them applauding and without them applauding mm-hmm. and were back and forth pretty close. But they chose applauding and I think that was the right choice. Okay. The final thing is the la- the true last sequence in this movie is the Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On sequence. Oh. I did not know the story attached to this and I love it. So tell me, I'm going to share it and then we can explode. <laughs> We can sink into the depths of the Atlantic Ocean. I'm ready. Um, so I guess that there was like a shared opinion of James Cameron and James Horner that they did not like when movies ended with a song. Mm. They both thought it was goofy and corny and they didn't like it. But when James Horner was thinking about ways to end the movie, he started thinking about a song. And so he like privately started working on something. He privately, not telling James Cameron, hired a lyricist, put together this song. He went to Vegas. He saw Celine and he was like, I'm going to hit her up. I have enough like and they secretly recorded this song unbeknownst to James Cameron in New York and James Horner was like hey like it's pretty like unlikely that this will be included in the movie but like here's your money and like thanks for doing this like (laughs) Mm -hmm. then after it was recorded James Horner who sounded like a very like quiet man Mm -hmm. who like chose his moments kind of person Mm -hmm. so once he has the song of the century like the recording he sits on it for six weeks waiting for James Cameron to be in the right mood (laughs) to be receptive to the idea of a song ending the movie and then six weeks later James Horner's like so I tried something out and like just let me know what you think and he plays a song and then James Cameron's like is this Celine Dion (laughs) and James Horner's like yeah, yeah Celine Dion. I just kind of threw it together <laughs> over the course of several months. And James Cameron, to his again, I feel like when the idea is really good, he will acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, let me just think about this. And then he brought the song to his, I guess at that time, teenage daughter and was like, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And his teenage daughter was like, it's the song of the century, you fool. Yeah. And that's how the song got it into the movie. Wow. Isn't that wild? Like it, like, I love that. There were so many. Everything perfect happened with Titanic. It's the best movie ever. Movie making is magical. And horrible. And well, nasty. <laughs> yes. Two things can be true. Uh, that's our seventh Titanic episode everyone you came to this place <laughs> you came to this place for multiple titanic episodes most of them are on the matreon so if you want to hear more yes, yes. scoot on over to the matreon but uh yeah that'll that'll do it for this year but you better believe your ass oh my god we really 2024 oh you better believe your ass and and we yeah i mean next year i mean next year at very least we will talk about a movie we watched a full year ago titanic 666 yeah yeah and that's a damn promise um (laughs) we love you so much thank you so much for listening um you can find us over on most importantly our patreon aka matreon that's patreon.com slash bechtelcast five dollars a month 
will get you access to all but one of the other Titanic <laughs> episodes we've recorded. And if that is a deterrent and not a reason to sign up, there's also uh, well over 100 episodes on other movies we've covered there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Bechtelcast or on tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast for all of the merch we currently have. But also, I think there's a chance mm-hmm. that you'll see reverse image white star line stuff there. Love it. Very soon. I hope so. Brock, love it. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for listening. And I'll never let go. Will you, Jamie? I will never let go. Okay. Ever, ever. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.